0: welcome to story comic presents where we interview amazing storytellers and artists this is episode 229 i'm your host barney smith of storycomic.com and we're excited to have with us the highly talented children's book and comics illustrator and founder of kids con new england emily druin hey emily
1: hi thanks
0: for having me yeah you're welcome i know we've uh uh, I'm trying to get get you on for. I think we reached out. We're both part of also the the Kids Comic Unite group, and yep. I reached out. I think back in September or so, and really wanted to try to get you on the show. And we wanted to kind of balance between you just recently had a very successful Kids Con New England, and you started doing that back in 2016. Is when you first started doing the Kids Con, correct?
1: Yeah. Well. I kind of started off um, doing a mini version, KidsCon, at events throughout New England. Uh, since uh, 2013, 2015, I was doing workshops at event, um, KidsCon activity zones, and teaching workshops for the kids. And also with my um, comics, I started uh, attending conventions in 2013 with my uh, kids series. Uh, sci-fi series Upless that I co-write with my husband and I illustrate and I saw the need for there to be more stuff for kids to do so I started um like asking conventions hey how about if I do a little uh, some kids activities and programming and they were thrilled to have that um because that was seemed to be very lacking at the time in the early two, um, 2010. so that's kind of where KidsCon New England was born. Um, I just expanded it and created a whole convention devoted to all family-friendly comic and children's book creators. So um, families will know that there's like a safe space, that everything's been approved to be kid-friendly.
0: also kind of got this inspiration by having your booth next to maybe an adult comic, and it was one of these situations where it felt kind of weird having kids – you know, having that all intermingled a bit.
1: Yeah, that was another idea. Like I was like, let's have a whole aisle devoted just for kids stuff or family-friendly materials, you know? Um, and there aren't too many uh, conventions that want to do that. I know it's a lot of work like tabling and <laughs> from the convention standpoint where I run shows, I know how difficult it can be to put a seat, everyone. But um, that's why I want. I felt the need for there to be a family-friendly show, and there are a lot of family-friendly shows, but they don't like aren't as thorough at looking at who's exhibiting, and so it's right. good to have like a safe space for families.
0: And how does that work, for instance, with with KidsCon New England? How how is that process of that vetting process that you do for vendors?
1: Yeah. So we let them all know up front and the application that everything needs to be family friendly. And we also review their works. And also before we start the show, I go around all everyone in Artist Sally just to make sure things are, you know, family friendly again, that there's no um, surprises. <laughs>
0: And, and so do you say, like, for instance, that it, for, for those that are interested, you know, as of this recording here, you do have your table registration is open for for May and next November as well, or just the yeah, May one? for
1: both our events. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. a ton of fun. Um, we do lots of creative workshops, uh, gaming, and we have fun activities like Jedi training, magic shows, and sing-along story time, and costume contests. And um, it's a ton of fun to inspire the kids, the next generation of comic and children's book creators. Um, basically, we're just, it's all about promoting art education and literacy. And um, that's what I'm very passionate about. Ever since I was a little kid, my favorite place to go was the library. And <laughs> I was always excited when my mom, that it was Saturday, it was library time. And cause then I could get like all these books. For free, <laughs> and it and and it fueled my love of storytelling and wanting to illustrate and write my own books. And when I was in elementary school, I was illustrating and writing my own creative stories. And my teachers really um, encouraged me to pursue and continue. And and even make like photocopies, and I'd staple the books together and. <laughs> And so I think that's really important to have that uh, kids need to hear, you know, to get encouragement to create. And also, too, um, it was just now everything's on the internet. You can see so many creators online now. Before it was a lot harder to meet creators. Um, and during the pandemic, I did Kids Kong online. Mm -hmm. and so um it's still available it was a two-day event um we had for free and people did videos um ahead of time and i edited i put them all together and we did like a live stream um and i had my uh cartoon hosts i created and i animated them and uh did the voiceover with my husband jeremy and we're like hey let's what's up let's check out this next um video and um yeah, and so it was a lot of fun, uh, just like trying to cheer people up. And that's why I love creating art and films, books, because it's a happy thing. And it can also be a sad thing. There are lots of emotions in arts, but I just love to create and share my love of reading with everyone.
0: And so one of your first inspirations that kind of got you into that was um, the, uh, the Disney Adventures, correct?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah yeah disney adventures um i subscribed to that it was like my first kind of comics other than the traditional comics in the sunday paper which is where my love of comics started <laughs> like calvin and hobbes and peanuts and um, family circus and i and garfield's of course and i saw those uh, volumes at the library too of those comics that um and i used to create comics too inspired by that but
0: yeah. <laughs> right. Now, how do you how do you balance the fact that you're an artist, you're an illustrator, you do a mm-hmm. lot of children's books, you do a lot of, and we'll talk about that, and a lot of the kids comics. How do you how do you balance your time doing that, but also but also running a a convention because that takes a lot of time as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. As well as I'm always working on multiple projects at once.
0: <laughs> it's
1: <laughs> a lot of time management. And um, especially now, too, during the holidays, I had, um, which is very good to be busy. <laughs> I also <laughs> have this boom of every, everyone. I, I think it's something, too, that seems to happen at the end of the year. Everyone's like, oh, it's winter. We're going to hunker down and do creative projects. <laughs> right. So I had a lot of people reach out to me um some more children's books in the pipeline and also lots of um caricatures i love drawing people and cartoony style and so I've, it's good i've been doing a lot of christmas gifts and if anyone is looking for something too there's still time <laughs> to reach out to me and let me know and you can check out my art on my website emilyatplay.com
0: right yep and then yeah Emily emilyatplay.com and on there people can check out your portfolio. You get your resume, your, your art shop. I'm really curious too, to talk to you a little bit about store envy. So why, because, so why, why pick store envy out of some other options and what would be your advice for artists who are looking to create an online store like that?
1: I honestly just been museum since like 2013 or so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just kind of stuck with it. Um, I did also use various printing for like, um, t-shirts and stuff, companies, um, but store and yeah, it's pretty, um, uh, simple and it's free and it's easy to set up. And, okay. um, I also use square too, for like my convention stuff. And it's very popular too, for my art. So I, I do like, you know, you can do invoices and all sorts of stuff. So square is great too. Um, but Store envy it works. You get email alerts, and um, I, people can commission, do like custom art, ask me to draw, and they can message me directly through Store envy too. Oh, cool! Yeah.
0: And so you have a few, you have a few projects that we you've been working on. But do you want to talk to us about a couple of your newer ones, at uh, Aria's Adventures?
1: Yeah, that one uh, is one of my newer comics, and I worked with. Uh, tiffany roberts the author and it's based on their family (laughs) Mm. and aria the girl um and she has a wild imagination they actually started doing youtube videos of aria and on her little adventures and so the link goes right to their website um i don't sell any of those on my store envy but it links to their website um as well as buddy the bass and so Um, Aria is kind of like Calvin and Hobbes (laughs) in a way that (laughs) this silly um, mischievous kid um, about the same age and has a bunch of stuffed animal friends and just takes ordinary situations and blows them up and her imagination becomes fantastic adventures and uh, often gets her into trouble and her poor dad (laughs) tends to... (laughs) together as you can see here as she can see like the um, abominable snowman and <laughs> yeah.
0: so I'm, I'm I'm really curious too as we're talking about this is that um what's the difference if somebody is like you know somebody's going to the library or something or or wanting to learn more about children's books what is what's that borderline between all right no actually this is a kid's comic or no this is a kid's this is a children's book what is that what's the definition between one being a comic book a, a, a kid's comic as compared to a children's book
1: it's um basically the format and okay. um, so for example you'll have uh, speech bubbles which in a comic book is quite common um And also, like, action words. And this is another from the book. And so, um, yeah, and usually they're in panels. And my particular style, I kind of did this like a crayon. So in her imagination, they're the crayon borders. And then when it comes to real, the crayon disappears. And you can see the reveal. Um, And I, I have a very kind of that kind of flow. Like, I love to... Have more of an organic um, right. feel of the um, panels. I don't, not really a big fan of the firm grids, but I have done them in other various comics too. Um, but in my particular style, I love doing a more of a flow, like you know, doing the Z style but more organic and uh, whimsical, flowing in. And then for a children's book, it's basically you'll have like picture um this one's one of my recent ones buddy the bass in the gooey Ooh. greens line and the author is edwin mark brooks and it's available um magicmarkbrooks.com too and then the link's off my website but as you can see for i'll show you this one it's more of uh you'll have text and then pictures around it but there's no speech bubbles um Usually it's kind of like more Mm. in this type of format. Um, So they are very similar, just little variations between like it's kind of more dominant on the picture versus having um, a bunch of speech bubbles and... Right. Some people, I'll have illustrations on one page and then the text on another page, too, for children's books.
0: So do you prefer when it comes to that? Because if you're an artist, if you're the illustrator and the writer, you're able to kind of decide how you're going to marry those words and and languages with the speech bubbles as compared to what you're showing us with with your other books, is that somebody else is writing it for you. How is that... How's that conversation happen? You say, "There's too many words here. I need this exactly. to shrink." Or, or yeah, how that's does that work? I was
1: going to say that's one of the things I really don't like. I like very <laughs> minimal words, so that's why I loved Aria's adventures because it was so few words, right. and I could tell the story visually. And I love to tell a story visually. um so it's like you can see what's going on. Yes, say what you need to say, but you can also, you know, have fun with it and have boom and, you know, action words. Like I really love the comic format. I have to say is my favorite mm. um, because of the action words. And I do incorporate action words in my children's books too, but it's basically doing a Z format for comics right. and children's books just have one picture. So right. that would be the difference between them. Um, When I first started off doing comics, my first two books, I inked them all in um, by hand and then scanned them and then colored digitally. And um, it's great to have that too, to have that hard copy, because then I also um, put them up, framed them, and I actually had them at some children's museums and libraries and stuff. So it's good to have that, um, the hard copy, but... It's also so much easier. Um, I like working, f- for one, at an angle, and so I have a drawing monitor. Uh, I use the Huion tablet, mm-hmm. and it's very similar to the Cintiq, um, but it's also a quarter of the cost. So <laughs> that's why I love it, but I actually love the pen better. Then the Cintiq and but yet Cintiq is a phenomenal product. I you know a lot of people in the industry use it. It is the go-to. But if you're in a pinch money-wise, <laughs> it's a good option. And mm-hmm. um, it's just like I love to paint too. I I do acrylic paintings. I'm a muralist as well. I love to work in a variety of mediums. I also love Prismacolor markers, and I work a lot of um, traditional, like when I do commissions for people, I use mainly markers. I have done some paintings and acrylic too for people. Um, so it's great. I love the variety of changing mediums, um, but digital I'd have to say is a lot cleaner <laughs> and it's great for printing. You, you get the high resolution. You don't have as much cleanup as you would traditionally, you know, you're like, Oh, I got specs here in my scan, you have to go all and clean them up. So that's why I love working digitally.
0: Right. And so what, what are some of the things as you're working digitally that, that you wish you knew say four years ago when you started working digitally, what are some of the shortcuts that, or advice that you would give people that are working in digital right now? Yeah, I
1: think I started, what's it? Eight years ago, uh, wow. or when I first got my uh, drawing tablet, it was a, um, a Wacom, and you you know look at your monitor and you have the pen, just like the flat tablet at your desk and, and draw looking up. That one was really hard to get that coordination. I think it made me better for doing print work. I, for one, have a graphic design degree from Keene State College. So I did go to formal school for printing, and I worked in free press and packaged package design and stuff for almost six years. And so I have that printing background. So that is why I love working on the computer because it just, I'm very familiar with it. And I love Mm -hmm. working the Adobe software. And that's actually where I paint too, um, using Photoshop and also doing animation too with Adobe and video editing. It's like everything. I think just uh, experimenting with the different varieties of the pens and brushes, there's so much out there, but I've learned too, to create my own. So I also have my own set that I prefer using. Um, So basically in Photoshop, you can edit the way brushes um, sensitivities and the the slope and pressure and all sorts of things. And I create Mm -hmm. like that crayon tool too. (laughs)
0: So talk to us a little bit about Eplis. You have four issues out so far. And so those that are fans of it, when are they waiting for issue five?
1: I know I've been wanting to do that for so long. Um, I've been bugging Jeremy, my (laughs) co-writer, to do it um, with me. And I've just been always, like you said, I'm running multiple events a year. I go to conventions, too. I'm tabling at. I'm a member of the National Cartoonist Society. And I do events with them as well. It's a lot of fun. And uh, then I'm also, like I say, do all these other odd jobs: video editing and um, some animation, and um, and I'm like also do commercials for my events and some voiceovers and stuff. So definitely keeping busy. Um, but I hope to do. <laughs> I don't want it to die. I want to do another epless <laughs> soon. So. Yeah, we're, we have been um, writing the story and it's just a matter of finalizing it. So hopefully (laughs) soon.
0: And so do you, how how does that work for you? Do you, uh, do you and Jeremy, do you already have like an outline out for a certain amount of issues or is it an ongoing series? Or do you have like a, a, a a storyline that you have an
1: arc, a story arc, and um, we planned it out. And um, one of the things I would like to do is animate it. <laughs> for okay. you, it's an animated series. My cousin and I are both musicians, but he is definitely better composer than I am. So <laughs> he is amazing. He did the theme song for Atlas and it's on my website too. And I, I'd love to, you know, use that and do a cartoon show in the future. So it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, so let's talk a bit about as well as like um, getting back to that, to the kids con piece. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned that you have, there there's a vetting system that's in place to make sure that, that people are kind of have that age appropriate piece to it. Um, Have you seen in the, in the past almost 10 years you've been, because you mentioned this started in 2016, but you started tabling back in, you know 2015 2014 or so right yeah 2013, 2013.
1: yeah and then i created KidsCon con new england in 2015 but i was doing like kids con um 2014 on um like a mini version of it within conventions mm-hmm.
0: um yeah and do you so i guess so a, a piece of it have you noticed in the almost 10 years that you've been doing mm-hmm. this Have you seen a surge in kids' comics right now? Oh,
1: definitely. Yeah. And we're not um, just about comics. We are about children's literature in general. So, um, and as well as indie art. So, we have illustrators on, you know, crafters, even. Our event is more focused on the indie scene. We do get some guests that are mass published, Um, they have like Macmillan. And, you know others um that attend and we had the investigators john patrick green at our previous show as well as dave roman from astronaut academy and Teen boat and it was awesome to have them there um yeah so we're more generally like an indie like people that create we limit amount of vendors so we don't like mass produce things we like to keep mm. it more of like things are These are things people made, like small press and um, made by hand. Is there a group
0: that just are not geared towards that, where they you would just say, "Sorry, this isn't your convention."
1: Yeah, it's been hard. Um, Like every now and then, you get some weird ones, like Windows. (laughs) 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 But um, you know, I I try to limit. You know, if they want to be on the outside, yeah. That's fine. But um, we're definitely grateful for our sponsors to, um, you know, like you have Rhode Island Comic Con. They're sponsored by Cardi's mattresses every year. <laughs> so, you know, that does happen. You know, you're welcoming anything family friendly, but to a certain degree, like it's very limited if it's outside of the children's books and right. children's gaming. Like we have indie game makers there as well and um people that make like their own toys so
0: right.
1: i know there are like um you know you always see wild bills <laughs> yeah we, we <laughs> don't have wild bills but they uh, like we just like to try to keep it more of like an indie scene so
0: right yeah. right <laughs> As you talk with KidsCon, there's there's a there's a beautiful marriage that KidsCon would you know have with like say for instance with with the libraries for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, how important do you do you push that to really get libraries involved in the, in that KidsCon New England?
1: Yeah, we have a lot of librarians as well as schools that come to our events and actually um, purchase a bunch of books from the artists and Mm. authors at our events so we've had them come back with big stacks like i mean leaving with big stacks and um so that's great to have that um so it is a resource and i i definitely it a lot and all the social networks and um community groups too to let them know as well as put up posters at libraries and schools and other various um places about our upcoming events um because we are about the education whole part of it so we do lots of creative workshops and we're we have writing workshops drawing workshops um you even had a character comedy improv <laughs> <on our best laughs> one, which is a lot of fun so it's uh all about you know that education so we welcome to any um libraries and things um we've had local bookstores, table art events. Uh, and as well as I myself have done workshops at libraries and at schools, teaching how to create comics and stuff. So oh. I have done a lot of those and I love to do some too. There, if you have a school or a library, you'd like to invite me as a guest. I'd love to come.
0: <laughs> Where do you see yourself? If somebody is looking for some advice to say, you know what, Emily, I'm looking to you know, start my own convention for what advice you do you wish you've received back in 2016 when you started doing, doing this as a solo thing?
1: Well, like anything, I think it's you learn from on the job, uh, you know, experience. Um, I'd recommend like how I started out tabling at conventions. And so mm-hmm. it gives you a unique perspective being on that end of what, you like and what you don't like about conventions for one but also to volunteering to work at shows that was another thing that helped me to learn how to run a convention um seeing all those different aspects and you know behind the scenes so uh i was doing that like again running my kids con areas and volunteering in that and doing a variety of things not just comic cons but doing fairs and doing library shows and a hodgepodge of things I've learned to adapt in the space you're provided. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's just, you have to learn to be flexible with spaces and Uh, the more each year you'll learn more and more what works and what doesn't work. So your first time you, you know, you run a show, it's definitely going to have a lot of hiccups and then you learn from that. And the more you do them, hopefully the better you get, but there are things that will pop up no matter how hard you plan for everything. And it's inevitable, but you just try to, from your experience each year, you get better and better and more familiar how to handle situations.
0: Mm -hmm. how much have you seen changed a bit through like pre-covid conventions to now this post-covid convention scene Mm -hmm. what things have you been able to adjust or update or evolve into
1: yeah we um in the when we came back uh we weren't able to do a new hampshire show or a main show in 2020 but we did our kids con online and then 2021 again it was still the pandemic wouldn't allow us to have a show in spring, so we had our main event in 2021. So I was bummed we couldn't do that New Hampshire show. And then we finally had both our New Hampshire and fall and, um, fall main show um, this year. And in that, we did get that hiccup of people thinking in New Hampshire, oh, they must have just stopped doing the show because it had been since 2019, and now it's 2021. So we had to. I essentially, it's like starting over. You know, you have to Mm. like you do all your email blasts and everything, and be like, hey, you know, we're here again. Not only that, it was frustrating was losing venue of the Nashua location. Mm. um, At the Radisson, they got bought out to be the Sheridan, and then this new management finally like they were saying oh we can't book you yet because we're doing reservations and blah 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 so a couple of years later i'm like please finally can we have our event back because we loved it it was the castle and it worked right. perfect for all our rooms space for the workshops and everything but then they're like no we don't want you back anymore you oh. want to have it specifically we're corporate and weddings events right. so we're not doing the comic cons and so I was crushed by that. So I had to start from scratch trying to find a whole new venue and having, again, doing that so I, not everyone is accommodating. They won't let you do setup the night before. And I, it was just, and I tried schools and they're like, oh, you can't charge admission. It was just like all these things I, in universities. I just, um, it was so hard to find another space That had what we needed for our event, so I was like, "I'm going to try and make this work the best I can." And again, you know, we're still running that, trying to find another venue that has those spaces. But we're at the Everett again, um, and we're going to change up some things again um, to try create some calmer spaces because it's a big open echoey space. So those are situations you run into. It's like you know, you got to try to change things up and work with what you got and Great. i'm like i need to run this show i don't want to give up <laughs> you know um it means a lot to people I, I we have had such positive feedback at our shows and people say what a difference makes to them and and, and inspires their kids to create and um and just like so it's really important it, we have something really unique i feel um there aren't as many you know kids shows like this at all in this area right. i actually KidsCon was new england was the first kids comic con in new england so right. <laughs> yeah just- are, th-
0: are there are there more now since then
1: there are a couple more um not right. a whole lot but it is a tricky thing too and i know it can be hard for people to um you know find vendors and things for that but um I just feel like we're we're something special, and I want to keep it going. And if other people are doing it too, I'm very you know supportive of them as well. We're as long as we're all about a positive mission, you know.
0: Because you call it KidsCon New England, are you looking to expand it out into? like vermont massachusetts connecticut or anything like that as well yeah
1: and uh, that was the intent and <laughs> kind of you know in the future maybe kiss con usa right <laughs> <laughs> so i um i have been looking and trying to expand it to um to other states and i i have been on tour you know contributing to The kids areas at various events like Baltimore Comic Con, which I had a Mm. lot of fun at the Kids Love Comics Pavilion, which I feel we should do more. Like if only other events followed like that, like just have a kid's space like they're on the same page and, you know, wanting to have that zone devoted to kids. Um, Rhode Island Comic Con, I'd love to help them expand their kids section. Um, That's another thing, you know, that I feel like could use some more improvement. to help you know create something bigger like a bigger space than just laying some tables out for the kids coloring
0: (laughs) so (laughs) more immersive experience yeah and and where do you where do where does it come down to where you see it almost like is there like an age range where you say all right this is definitely a kid's comic as compared to that is there a specific age range on there or is it about art style or is it about storyline what would constitute a kid's comic in that sense
1: yeah, um, well, you do have some people like Scotty Young that has a very cute, fun, like, cutesy style, but um, Adventures in Fairyland is not for little kids, <laughs> but it looks cute. So you can't just go by that cute formula because um, you can have that type of humor where it can get bloody and gory. So if it has right. that excessive, bloody, gory stuff, like even some um, Batman and things that are really dark, Um generally i i find um com it, like if they are more colorful if they have fewer text usually um and more um, bubbly mm-hmm. <laughs> it's usually uh, for kids comics um darker colors more muted tones definitely more for mature um and I have a very vibrant style and I, for a long time, was wondering if that's why publishers kept turning my stuff down. (laughs) Because there was this kind of period where a lot of kid comics were very kind of muted down. But kids love color. They love pops of color. So, um, but like, for example, my comics generally ages um, five and up. So if they're like very visual, very few words, then that can appeal to little kids, even younger.
0: So, talk to us a little bit about some of the places that you've joined as well, like the National Cartoonist Society and the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators.
1: Yeah, as well as uh, Kid Let 603 in New Hampshire.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, I feel if you are an aspiring um, author, new author, new illustrator, you want to do books now is the best time to go online and connect with the communities out there you can find on facebook um on twitter or instagram but i prefer using facebook i feel like are groups are community groups um they have lots of children's book and comic book creators groups out there they have ones that are regional chapters i am part of the um national cartoon society and we have divisions for New England and all sorts throughout the country. And if you go on NashvilleCartoonists.com, you can find out more about if you're interested in joining and all the information's on there. And the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators is very similar. We have groups, too, um, based on the regions, um, S-C-B-W-I And if you look on there, you can find... It's a great resource, too, if you're looking for an illustrator, um, writer okay. as well, um, mm. you, or cartoonist. Um, you can find a variety of different styles. People, we list our portfolios on there. And it there is a fee to join both of these groups, but you can find out more on the member information off the website. But I think mm. it's great networking. Um, occasionally, we have streaming like on zoom meetings and um hopefully more in-person events in the future i know go figure the pandemic kind of threw things <laughs> off but um things are picking back up and so it, it's uh great to be on there and yeah you can see my some of my examples there and i've gotten jobs being on that website as well as again on people you know googling you it's important to have your own website um you can do tags on your work too like you know comic artist or you know cutesy cartoons (laughs) animals um so it's definitely important to use the internet for that um it was a lot harder prior to these times of the internet being Mm. so widely available to everyone now and The only downside, if you are an artist, (laughs) I'm sure you've heard of everything going on. Well, for one, at first, um, there are websites too, like Fiverr,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and people do, you know, ask to do odd jobs there, like, hey, I'm looking for an animator to do this, you know, five minute thing. And you're going to have some people in like way far east, like Indonesia, and they're like, I'll do it for $5. (laughs) So, that's what does hurt artists. Um, you're like, come on, I'm spending the whole day on this. Is it really fair <laughs> to pay? Would you pay a doctor? You know, Like you go to the doctor's office, they see you for like two minutes and you get charged $300, you know? Right. So it just, I, there needs to be more respect, I think in the artist world because it is work. It is an actual job. It is hard, mm. you know? and of course now there's the ai is another thing (laughs) and the ai though i'm i mean it's the early stages and it could you know it will inevitably probably get better and better but they are using art from artists so it's not starting off from scratch you know but then again we are inspired by other artists just as the ai is inspired But it's one thing when they're taking that image and, you know, using so much of it. Um, So artists don't upload your art on there because it's just feeding the system. (laughs) (laughs) But um, a lot of people had their work taken and they didn't get permission. Um, And the thing about copyright is if you change it just a little bit, then it's a unique work. And Mm. I know I've had my stuff ripped off to, and I'm sure pretty much every artist at this point, you have something online, you need to be online to get noticed, but as soon as you have something online, it's out there for anyone, you know, it's definitely challenging, but there's still a lot of people that want something unique and AI cannot provide that unique personality to the piece than artists can especially the fingers right now.
0: <laughs> I know, I saw that.
1: But I'm sure that will get better in the future. But I mean, as far as when I looked, I just went through, and I, I was like, OK, it's not good at cartooning yet. So I think we are good for as far as being cartoonists. But you right. know, knock on wood. <laughs>
0: So so you mentioned, too, that you're available to illustrate self-published books. So is there a reason why you you, you pick specifically self-published works and not maybe something larger, from well, like, say, a larger company or something?
1: Uh, mainly because I keep reaching out to those companies and I never get accepted. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll, I'll keep at it. I never give up, as, as well as agents, too. So basically, I'm just, you know, kind of getting what I can get. Um mainly again i i meet these indie creators i love working with indie creators too because they're a lot of times just starting out so i'm trying to like you know raise them up to you know we're trying to help each other to get noticed and i give advice too from my experience and i love to help people out um there's only so much you can do obviously they need to do some work too <laughs>
0: right
1: but um you can't do everything for them but you do as much as you can and so I love working with the indie scene because it's like, I love the variety of projects and um, it keeps the job interesting. Uh, I'm not just working on this one graphic novel that's going to be taking me the next five years. I devote this publisher to doing, you know, but you're also, you know, committed that you can't do your own personal projects if you have all these others lined up, which, you know, can eat up into your time. Trying to right. you know, do things, which, like for Epless, for example, <laughs> through Facebook groups is how I've gotten a lot of my work and through the society online websites.
0: As we mentioned at the top of the show, for those that are interested in, in learning more about your work and what you do, they can go to emily at play.com. And if those, if people want to learn more about the Kids Con New England, they go to kidsconne.com. Very, very excited for you to to come on the show.
1: Oh, thanks. Oh, and I've had people ask me about what Emily at play like. They thinking that song by Pink Floyd. It's actually based on a Warren Beatty quote. Um, you've achieved success in your field when you don't know whether what you're doing is work or play. Okay. So this is me, Emily at play, and All also right. you know.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot, Emily.
1: Oh, very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And I wish you all a very happy and healthy holiday season and new year. And I would love to connect with any other fellow creators. Feel free to reach out. I'm on Facebook, Emily at Play, um, and my website and also Instagram, Emily Drew Art. Perfect.
0: All right. And you said, uh, um, and, uh, "I'm going to edit this. This is the coolest thing about this. Is the best part about this, Emily, is that um, I can always. I'm editing this out later, so that'll be super smooth on okay. the on the audio podcast. So that's really cool that I can do that. So I'm going to timestamp this for, because it was one of those situations where I had like two questions and they all kind of like converged at once, and then they forgot, but then it messed me up for a second. Yeah, let me um,
1: know if um, I they didn't quite answer the question or
0: Oh no, you're good. You're good. Yeah, you're 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 you're, you're rock starring this. Don't worry about that. So